Welcome to Take a Wonder with Shebs, the show that features some of the biggest travel bloggers, TV and radio personalities and journalists from all around the world. Each show aims to take my guest on a wonder and uncover topics that may not be discussed on their platforms or in the media, whether that's the state of travel blogging and journalism as it is today, or whether there's enough diversity within the industry. Perhaps what impact technology and social media have had on content creation, or in general the impact of current affairs on the industry. I also try and find out the journey behind each individual's success, as this is more important to me than the actual travel. This episode, I look back at some of my most memorable shows over the last year, as I celebrate two years of podcasting. Well, it's a two-year anniversary show. Another year has gone by, and I want to thank everyone for watching or listening. I hope some of the episodes have been inspiring to you guys, some of the guests I've had. If you remember my anniversary show from last year, where I interviewed myself, I said I wasn't too sure where I was going to be in a year's time, and I am now part of the British Guild of Travel Writers as a member, which is an absolute honour. I've got a radio show, a breakfast show called Rise and Shine. Plus, my writing has picked up. The first one I want to look back on today is my talk with Ash Bardwaj. Now, he's a travel journalist, and we spoke about the lack of Asians within travel media and why that was the case, what could be done. Let's look back at this one and see what he had to say. Had the Asian or the South Asian uh, representation, especially when it comes to the UK, how do you see that sort of improving? You just have to do good work. I think, you know, writing articles like that where you, you explain to people, if you are brown and you're traveling places, you will have a different experience. You will have different thoughts, you'll have different feelings, you'll have different opinions, and you may be treated differently. That's not always a bad thing. Sometimes that's a good thing. Like if I go to Nepal, people are like, oh, he's just funny brown guy hanging out with all the white people. That's interesting. I'm going to go and chat to him. Or the point I made about um, a Maru guy in New Zealand who was like, uh, oh yeah, you know it's like you're Indian. The British screwed that place over too. So like, there's there's a sort of like interesting, uh, sort of like uh, unlocking of doors in certain places by having uh, by being from a uh, diversity can do that. Diversity is important because we are dealing in a world that is not this kind of simple, simple, monoethnic nationalist world of 75 years ago. We live in a world where we're constantly being engaged with different ideas, different thoughts, undergoing. Um, assaults from um, nefarious agents or uh, people with malintent to put misinformation towards us. We are in a connected global world. And you need diverse thought in organisations, in writing, to be able to make sense of all of that. So diversity is vital to succeed in understanding and interpreting the world. You know, there's no point in me writing about the experiences of women in London because I just don't have that insight. To get that perspective out is is really important, I think. Yeah, and I think it's just like, you know, as I wrote about in the article, I want to hear about what it's like for black British people to travel to South Africa. I mean, the only stories I hear about South Africa are people going for the rugby, the cricket, and the safari, and it's white men, usually, um, or drinking wine. Well, that's cool, but, you know. How do we get, I guess, more people interested within the creative field, you know, especially when it comes to travel. Tell stories that are relevant to them. That's why you need more diversity, you know. When I travelled to India when I was 19, I couldn't find any books written by British Indians. I don't think any existed back then. There's nobody writing about what it was like to be a British Indian person travelling in India. It just wasn't there. So, like, the perception is actually not something that 
British Indian people do, or something that white kids from private schools do. That's the perception that is that you you can arrive at with that. So for media industries to survive, for media organisations to survive, they have to become more diverse. They do that by bringing more diverse voices. And then that inspires the next generation to do it. There's a phrase, you can't be what you can't see. So until you see people like you on there, you're not going to be inspired to do it. I, th I think that's probably the, the, the trick there. Next, I want to look back at my talk with a outstanding individual, Sade. Now, we had a talk about the reason why she wanted to do a documentary based on the 60th anniversary of Sierra Leone and why it was important to her. Let's look at this one as well. You're trying to change the narrative, really, aren't you, by you were saying doing the documentary, which is very important to you. It is very hurtful, like when you see, you know, the bad news that's reported, because every country has their challenges. And uh, I think, you know, there's another word for um, Africa. It's, they, it's been called the dark continent because, you know, it's constantly seen as just, you know, always bad things come out of it or, you know, just always bad news you'll hear about it. Um, but it's so not true. Uh, the future is African. And there is just so much going on here, so many good things, so many brilliant people. Um, and just, you know, a country just like Sierra Leone, which is a very poor country, but has so much potential. Uh, Sierra Leone is so naturally beautiful. Um, we have so many natural resources from, of course, diamonds to gold uh, to bauxite. Everybody just needs to change their mindset and realize that there's just it's just the land of opportunities here and um it's a truly beautiful place and that's why i'm here right now like i every day i find myself you know saying oh my goodness sierra leone is so beautiful and in my documentary sierra leone at 60 uh not only do i like interview sierra leoneans explain the sierra leone experience and um but also i showcase sierra leone so i have like lovely drone shots and um you can see different parts of Sierra Leone and even when I see the shots even though you know we've been filming it my cameraman and I I'm still like oh my goodness so stunning that's really what I would like portrayed to the world goal for the documentary what would you like to come out of it goal for this documentary is that even if it just changes one person's opinion of Sierra Leone then I feel like that's it. I've achieved something. Um, so I've been releasing t teasers on uh, the social media platforms that I made for the documentary. They're all Sierra Leone at 60 um, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And even with the first teaser, that's just a stunning drone shot. I had people messaging me from, from left and right, just like, oh my goodness, I need to come and visit Sierra Leone. My friends are like, oh my gosh, this is what it looks like. I need to come there. Like, oh, and they're even giving me dates and trying to figure out, you know, in their diaries and their schedules when they can come. Um, I even have fellow Sierra Leoneans ask me, where is this? Like, where did you go and shoot this? Like, are you, you, you know, you've taken advantage of when something, something that you have, you don't, you know, you don't realize how science is until you see it from like a, a different lens pun intended <laughs> um so yeah that's what i 
I just really want to help rebrand Stereo. Now, finally, I want to look back at a very, very important topic that still is relevant today and nothing's been resolved since I had the conversation and it was my talk with individuals in Afghanistan. The reason why I'd done this episode was dark tourism is something that I've been looking into, especially with my radio show and Afghanistan is a place that I really want to go to, really want to travel to. An individual that has been, he spoke about the beauties and what he'd seen. Also, I brought on a guest who is in the grounds, living there at the moment and experiencing what is going on right now. As of today, nothing has changed, as I've said. This was really significant for me and I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about my guest. So let's look at this one as well. When were you born? Because I want to know what it was like pre-2001 before the first invasion. What it's been like during the 20 years. So before 2001, we uh, almost more than 50% of the Afghan population were refugees, as they still are. Many of them in countries like Pakistan, Iran, India, Indonesia, and these places. Smaller group, of course, in the Europe and America. We were refugees in Pakistan, and we came to Afghanistan post-2001. We saw that Mr. Hamid Karzai was elected as the president for the interim government, and around 36 to 40 countries and the international community pledged their commitment to the Afghan people at that time in the post-2001 era. Everybody in the world, the journalists, the human rights defenders, all the political experts and everyone, they they just rushed into Afghanistan and they said that, okay, it's now an independent state. It's now time to build this country. Enough of the civil war, enough of the Russian invasion, enough of all those years in war. Now it's time to build this country from the scratch. Unfortunately, uh, uh, the government at that time in the post-2001 era was also um, uh, not not a very innocent government, I would say, because every time I think about it, I, I cringe because the fall of Afghanistan was even predicted at that time. Uh, some people would say that Afghanistan was rising, people were trying very hard, people were finding jobs, the unemployment was being eradicated. Yes, that's true. But people were predicting this day even in 2002, 3, 4, and until 2021, because we knew that this is imminent, this will come. When we as a youth and and the women of Afghanistan, when 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 we talk about what the post-2001 era contributed to the to the rebuilding of Afghanistan, yes, it did. It significantly changed people's lives. But unfortunately, the lack of commitment from the government at that time was absolutely embarrassing. Their sense of apathy, their corruption, the warlords, they just took control of the power and everything was disaster. But then when Ashraf Ghani came to power in 2014, he contested the election with Dr. Mr. Dr. Abdullah at that time. Uh, then we had some hopes. We thought, OK, this is an educated president. He was a professor at the Stanford University. He wrote dozens of books on how to fix broken states. He might have an idea of how to just once and for all build this country from the scratch. But unfortunately, nothing happened. Small elite circle surrounded President Ghani, uh, who were not that innocent, who were corrupt, who used their power and their position in the government to, to loot a lot of people. 
to to take the money that was supposed to be spent on the construction of the roads, the companies, the schools, universities, bridges, and the institutions in Afghanistan, most importantly. They took that money and they promised us, okay, we are building something, we are building a state for you, but unfortunately, we didn't know what's exactly happening behind the curtains. And when all of a sudden the youth and and I would call it the woke generation finally realized that there might be something cooking behind the scene. We just said, OK, this is not fair because you have to tell us our government owes us an explanation. They should tell us that whether the peace talks in Doha will have a result. The peace talks with Pakistan will have a result. The involvement of the United States will contribute. Unfortunately, no one in the government tell us the truth. And we were in a total dark the youth of Afghanistan. We had absolutely no idea what's happening. We would just sit in our offices and discuss, you know, let's just wait. But then we went to sleep and then we woke up on the August 15th and it was boom. It was just the government left, the president fled, his deputies left. Many of them took a lot of money with themselves and they abandoned us. What I want to ask you about is your perception before you went to Afghanistan and whilst you were there, what were your thoughts and what what were your thoughts now on what you see? Before I went to Afghanistan, I had obviously done research, which has the potential to be volatile, which Afghanistan is. It can change very quickly, as we have seen. You need to do your research. And all the reports I was reading was that infrastructure is not great. Uh, which is true. It's incredibly friendly and the hospitality is wonderful. It's an amazing destination with beautiful mountains. And the thing I remember most was the beautiful mountains. I had a friend who visited in the 70s and he said it was the most beautiful country he'd seen. And that was really my motivation. I was a bit nervous. There's there's no question. If you don't have nerves, you're probably not alert and aware of the your surroundings. And I was nervous. When I got there, I mean, it was one of the most influential countries in my life I've ever visited. Uh, one thing I noticed that was very strong was all the almost the entire absence of women in the street. So there, in the rural areas, found that uh, I was not served by one woman in a shop. Not none of the host, you know, the homestays I stayed at, or the you know the little um, guest houses. I was never served by one woman. The only women I saw working were in the fields and farms. But in terms of retail shops, nothing. Women weren't allowed to leave the home uh, without permission. And when they did, and when they did, they had to, if they left with the man, the, the husband or the brother, they always walked behind them because the man was walking in front and his wife, who was obviously a bit shorter, was behind in the full, you know, the metallic blue burqa. And behind her, walking behind her, was their daughter who probably just reached puberty, maybe 12 or 13. And this is the only time you saw the women. Sometimes they go out in twos, but you, it was... Um, you know, I, even my guide I spoke to, and I said to him, "What's it, you know, about his family?" And he says, "Oh no, my my wife never leaves at home." You know, th- this was considered this was considered quite normal there. The other thing with Afghanistan is the infrastructure is is wasn't good where I was. I remember the road I had to travel. Uh, you'd you'd be lucky to average twenty kilometers an hour, and that was the main road in the region. Really tough. Uh, the villages are very small. Uh, because of the to sustain the people it's a very harsh environment in winter preconceptions i had of afghanistan were rendered minimal by the time i went there because it was far more complex than i was led to believe 
And I was more confused about the state of Afghan Afghanistan and societal and other expectations than I was before I arrived. And I, I left and thinking, how could you possibly summarise this country in a few sentences? It's just not possible. Was your aim to sort of show the beauty rather than the horrors? I travel to to experience and to learn and to understand. I don't go particularly to say, here's all the, the beauty or here's the horrors. I mean, there are some cases I've been to where it is impossible to avoid the horrors, such as Rwanda, uh, the genocide memorials in Rwanda. They are incredibly powerful and disturbing places. And one has to mention them. In Afghanistan, I was there. I did. I wrote about it at the time. And when I travel, I see plenty of things. Whether I agree or disagree with them is irrelevant. I just, I just, I just tell what I see. I, I'm a positive per person, so I tend to focus on the positive. People who know me, I'm a very positive person. So I'll focus on hospitality and the food and the and the incredible natural beauty. And it is still the most beautiful country I've seen. So I don't go to comment on societal or cultural issues because it will give me an awareness. It will give me an awareness of the complexities around me. And that's what I found, that it was far more complex than what I previously imagined. But full understanding, uh, there's, there's no way even spending months there you'd have trouble getting a full understanding of the complexities. I mean, I live in Kenya and I've been here for years. And oh, even after years, there are still things I'm learning. It is, and Afghanistan, I think, is a very complex, a very complex country. Those are the episodes I wanted to look back at for this year, and they were three impactful episodes for me. They made a difference in my life, really got me thinking. People watching, people listening, hopefully it made an impact in your life as well. There were so many to choose from, but I had to go with the three that I thought made a significant difference. I will have more episodes coming up for the coming year. I want to thank everyone from the bottom of my heart again for watching, listening to Take a Wonder with Shebs. Until next time, bye for now.